Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Uh, a couple things as we're sitting here uh, going through stuff. One, the junior high retreat is going on right now. We're going to pray for that before we start the message, but um, we, we want God to capture that generation. So, you know, let's, we'll be in prayer with that, but uh, remember that. And then uh, moving on to some world news right now, right? The whole coronavirus and all that stuff kicking up. Obviously, uh, I'm not so worried about the virus as I am about the hysteria surrounding it. Uh, boy, social media is lighting up like a bombshell. And, uh, you know, I, <clears throat> we walked into last night, uh, Kayla and I went to go get Pam some uh, birthday. It's her birthday today, so we're getting mom some birthday cards. And So we went just over to Bartell's right here, and we walked in, and there were three employees, two guys and a gal. And as we walked in, we heard him saying, well, where do we send them? Well, there isn't no, we can't send them anywhere. Well, we got to tell them something. Well, I don't know. We can't send them to Walmart. They're out. We can't send them to Costco. They're out. And they're talking about the fact that there were no sanitizers and there were no, you know, things. Like, what were they going to do? And I, I was thinking to myself, of course, I'm an old farm boy. I said, soap and water. Hello? Soap and water. Can, you know, use, water, scrub your hands. Like, duh. But, but I mean, the, the spread around that, obviously, that's a big thing right now. It's kicking up. But have you heard some of the other things that are going on? Have you heard about the plague of locusts that are going on across the planet right now? Uh, you might have heard of the ones in Africa, uh, covering big enough to cover an entire nation. Blot out the sun. They actually have pictures on YouTube. You can go look at it. It's really cool and gross if you're a guy. Um, where the car's driving down the road and the things are hitting the windshield, right? Splat, like, and they're big. or like big hummers. So. But now there also is a... Uh, grasshopper plague in Pakistan. And China is going to try and help Pakistan with the plague by sending 100,000 ducks. Okay? Yeah, you heard me right. Not soldiers, ducks. Okay? And the idea there is that they would eat the locusts and help take care of the plague. So uh, th- this is kicking up you know, in a lot of different places. And then what about have you... Uh, Heard it all about the, uh, by the way, I heard this on Israeli news. That's where I'm picking It's not even reported here. Um, have you heard about the earthquakes in Iran and Turkey that are taking place? Some pretty severe ones. And there was actually one in Turkey that took place this past week. And when it happened, the river that flowed through the, the area turned blood red. That remind anybody of a story in the Bible somewhere? Um, yeah, really interesting. You can look that up. It, and it is red. I, I saw the pictures. I was like, wow, looks like blood. And then um, lastly, uh, in the Israeli headlines this week, announced that uh, with the new election, so the elections will happen on April 9th, so coming up here uh, really quick, the government has given provisional permission for the Paschal lamb to be sacrificed uh, on the uh, temporary altar on the Temple Mount. That ought to kick up a thing or two, right? And so we are living in fascinating times. There is some amazing stuff going on. And so let's, uh, let's pray before we start and go into the message, and then we'll uh, go into the message. Lord, these things catch our attention. They are catching the world's attention. And Lord, many people are... Um, just on the verge of absolute uh, terror when they could pray. And Lord, we seek you that this would be something you could use to draw a lot of people to yourself. We pray that um, you would help us be good witnesses, 
during this time. But also, Lord, we pray you'd help us in this time. The message is going to speak to that. And we seek you for that kind of good shoe leather response to your word. And we give that to you at great hope this morning. So we ask this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So we're going to, if you're newer visiting, we're in Mark chapter 14. And uh, we're going through the Gospel of Mark. It's called the Gospel of Immediacy. So grab your Bibles, open up, or your phone, or whatever you're doing. Uh, open up to there. And we're going to start where we left off last week with the uh, Last Supper. Uh, and so I'll read it to you. It says, as they, this is starting with verse 22. As they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, And they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Right? So Jesus here is literally, no pun intended, setting the table. Okay? He's setting up what's about to happen, what's coming. He's foreshadowing. He's giving them object lessons. And... uh, He's putting the, pulling the whole thing together. And one of the things that we, we don't think about is uh, just what that would have been like there to be that minute. How do you think the disciples were responding? And I want to suggest to you that they had a fair amount of tension, right? They knew something was going on. They weren't quite sure what, but they knew something was up, and they were feeling it. They were wrestling with it. They, you could tell by their awkwardness of their questions. They didn't want to ask Jesus directly, so they kind of... Hey, what a, you know, come around the corner kind of thing. And, but you could tell they, were, they, they knew something was uh, brimming up. And so when this finishes then, uh, something happens next that's often just overlooked. As a matter of fact, we really don't give it much thought because it's just a little blurb. But it says this. It says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They, oh, they sang hymns back then. Wow. What, you know, what hymns were they singing? Maybe the old rugged cross? No, probably not. Okay? That wasn't around yet. Okay? No, actually where they were singing from is, comes from the Hillel. And, and we wouldn't recognize that. Uh, in Psalms, it's called the Psalms of Ascent. It's Psalms 115 to Psalms 118. And these were the songs that the pilgrims sang as they were coming up for pilgrimage, coming up the mountain uh, towards Jerusalem, they would sing these psalms that are known as the Psalms of Ascent. And I want to show them to you because they're they're pretty significant when you think through who was singing these and what they were actually doing. So this starts with Psalm 116. It says this, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my plea for mercy. Because he's inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Remember, these are being sung, right? I don't have the music for them. I don't know what the tune was, so I can't carry it. But these were being sung. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. And then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. That's not just words. That's not just a song. Who was singing that? Jesus. Right? And we, we'll find out in the Garden of Gethsemane how, how he was calling out, if this cup could pass, I'd be okay. Right? A little further uh, in 116, it says this. 
It says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and I will call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Another place, Psalm 118, says this, Out of my distress, I called to the Lord. It would be pretty appropriate for that setting, right? Can you imagine walking along the trail, singing that? The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side and is my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a minute and think about singing those words. How powerful would that be? What would the impact of that be? Right? Like, wow. By the way, if you want, uh, you, this week you can go and just read from Psalm 115 to Psalm 118. They're not long. You can read the whole thing. You can read the whole expression of it and uh, <clears throat> capture what was going on there. And then lastly, I thank you that you've answered me and have become my salvation. This, and here's where this quote comes from now. We know this quote. It's used all the time in the New Testament. Paul quotes it, but uh, Jesus himself quotes it. It says, The stone that the builders rejected have become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I can sing that song to you, right? I know that camp song, right? I can, I can do that. But these were the songs that Jesus and the disciples were singing. We often don't think about the context of where they came, but they didn't just pull this stuff out of the air. They had grown up with this. this. These were songs that were sung every Passover. These were songs that were sung in the synagogue. They knew them by heart. And so Jesus was leading them in a hymn, not exactly sure how it was all cobbled together, but it was the core of this had to be in there uh, as they were going and walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's look at a map just to make sure we have the geography right. <clears throat> so if you looked on your right, there's Bethany, right? They started out there, then they moved up through Bethage. And as you can see, and very important, they're moving west. They're heading west uh, towards the Mount of Olives, and they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And notice in this setting how Jesus seems to be in control of the events. And the reason that it seems that he's in control of the events is because he is. He's setting this up. He's orchestrating what's about to happen. Um, notice for one thing, he's walking towards Jerusalem, not away from it. If you knew what he knew, which direction would you be going? Right? I'd be booking right the other way. He's also walking to a predetermined spot that he knows Judas will anticipate. So he's not going somewhere unknown. He's going to somewhere common that he knows Judas will tag on. In other words, a trap is being set and Jesus is putting the bait in the trap. And what's the bait? Himself. He's walking right into it on purpose and deliberately. The Garden of Gethsemane is here today. You can see pictures of it. If you've been to Jerusalem, you can see the very same trees that were there at the time of Jesus, exactly like it was 2,000 years ago, except they're a little older, a little thicker, a little gnarlier, right? They're just massive, gnarly old trees. Look like something out of the Wizard of Oz kind of thing, right? And... Um, when a person stands there today, they are standing amidst trees 
that literally heard the prayers of Jesus. Matter of fact, I think those prayers are recorded in those trees. I think they'll get played back in the future at some time. How amazing would that be? And as, they walking, as they're walking towards the garden, as they're on this trail, as they're heading and they're getting close to the garden, Jesus tells them something that shocks them. I mean, like out of the blue. Like, where did this come from? And so it really throws them sideways. And he says, he says this. Wow. <laughs> on steroids. <laughs> All right, just ignore that. Ignore that. We'll, we'll just keep going. Uh, if In your Bibles, it's verses 27 and 28. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. This is actually more shocking than we would realize because Jesus isn't just pulling this out of a hat. This comes from the book of Zechariah. And if you understand Old Testament literature, uh, Zechariah was held in very, very high esteem among the Second Temple Jews. And Zechariah... Uh, has the most to say about the coming of the Messiah uh, than almost any other book, maybe, than Daniel uh, in the Old Testament. So it's, it's really significant. And here he, he's quoting something, but it's a living quote directed directly at the disciples. You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Uh, this is the... Oh, I can't, can we get there? Can we go to the next slide then? <clears throat> Thank you, guys. Um, This is the actual quote in the book of Zechariah. Here's how it reads. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. When Jesus quoted this and said this to them, it was so shocking that they literally heard the first half and didn't hear the second half. What was the second, <clears throat> second half of what he was telling them? The second half is, but <clears throat> excuse me, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Keep that in your think tank there for, and hold on to that. We'll come back to that towards the end of the message. But they didn't even hear that part. They just heard, we're going to be scattered, right? And <clears throat> if you're a guy and somebody says to you, you're going to be a coward or you're going to run away, what do you do as a guy? right you're going to buck up i will not right and you're going to you're going to double down and you're going to you're going to let them know i'll be right here right right dean dean is right there okay and uh they and remember they were fully prepared to die for him we forget this fact we often you know we have the benefit of hindsight so we can see some things they couldn't see at the time but they were locked into real time just like us today you can't see this next week. You don't know what's going to happen, right? They couldn't see what was going to happen the next day either. And so they, they are doubling down. And, and, and Thomas, remember Thomas, back when, uh, before they, uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And he said, Lord, they were just trying to kill you. Why are you going to go back there? And then he said, well, we're going. And Thomas said, well, let's go with them that we can die with them. Right? Thomas often, like Peter, gets a lot of bad flack because you know, he's known as Thomas the Doubter. But um, they were ready to die for him. So for Jesus to say this really had to kind of sting. And essentially what they were, 
felt like it was Jesus saying they didn't have the grit or the guts to do what it would take to stick with them. You're not tough enough. And what is, you ever see little kids? Yes, I am, right? It's just in guys, right? There's that warrior side and, and yes, I am. And so they, they kind of doubled down on it. And you can tell this by their, their swift reaction. Uh, Peter comes back really fast. He says, even though they all fall, so he throws everybody else under the bus, right? Classic Peter. Even though they all fall, I, I will not. Now, when Peter is saying this, I don't think he's boasting. I don't think he's grandstanding here. I think he's dead serious. He's saying, for, as for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. He's following Joshua 1.9. And he says, even if everybody else says, I will be here. And, and he is letting the Lord know the resolve of his heart. The resolve of his heart is very similar. Uh, you can find the same kind of picture in the Old Testament with Ruth and Naomi. Remember in the book of Ruth and uh, Naomi's trying to tell her daughter-in-laws to go back. I've got nothing for you. Just go back to your people. Go find another husband. And uh, the one uh, daughter-in-law does. But then Ruth looks at Naomi and says this such famous phrase. says, May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. That's the same result Peter's reacting with right here uh, with Jesus. But he, Peter, is also badly underestimating what he's up against, right? Jesus looks at him and says this, Truly I tell you, and I'm sure he was looking Peter right in the eye, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. Now, this should have rocked Peter to repentance right there on the trail, right? He should have just got down on his knees and um, asked the Lord. He should have, what, he, what Peter should have recognized in that moment is that Jesus was trying to warn him. He was trying to give him a heads up. He should have been more keyed into what Jesus was trying to tell him than on what he was trying to tell Jesus, Right? And, and don't we all do that? You ever uh, inform the Lord in your prayers? You know, Lord, I know you've been kind of busy, and uh, you know, but just to let you know what's going on in Mill Creek, in case you needed to know, I thought I'd, you know, give you a heads up, right? And that Peter got caught in this. He's he's more, he's locked in now. He's being a classic guy, and he's locked in. He's not really hearing. Guys, you ever do this with your wives, right? And your wife looks at you. Goes, Did you hear what I just said to you? Oh, sure I did. Well, what did I just say? Ah, uh, stuff. <laughs> or, or at best we get a quarter of it, right? And, and we go, well, you said this. And, and? Oh, you said more? Well, yeah, how about this? Oh, I didn't hear that. <laughs> right? ever, ever do that? And this is kind of what Peter's doing right here. He, he caught the first part. He's missing the second part. Really, if you think about it, Peter should have known because... Remember the walking on water episode? Remember, and Peter had faith. Peter got out of the boat. He was walking on the water. And then it says, then he what? Got scared because he saw the storm around him and he began to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. He should have learned from that episode that his resolve wasn't quite as solid as he thought it was. That he could be had, that he could buckle. And, and he should have done something right there that most of us forget to do when we're under pressure. 
It's the very thing our culture is forgetting to do right now under pressure. What's that? Pray. Wouldn't that have been a good moment to stop and pray? Now, he probably wouldn't have had to close his eyes because Jesus was right in front of him. But uh, he should have been asking questions instead of making pronouncements. Instead, he does what most of us would do. He doubles down on his pronouncement and conviction. He comes back. Jesus says this. Peter comes right back. Says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the rest said the same. Now, I'm sure those words were uttered with very firm conviction. Just like when we become convicted, we, we utter the same kind of conviction, right? We know what we're doing. And I'm sure Peter meant and sincerely meant every single word he said. Peter was ready for a battle. Peter's thinking, all right, we're going into a fight. Okay, here we go. And he's thinking, all right, if we're going down, I'm going down swinging. Let, let's do this thing. Come on, guys, we're going to hit it and let's go. And, and so he's in that battle mode. I'm sure echoes of the Maccabees had to be ringing in his head. If you don't know who the Maccabees were, look them up. Fantastic story. And the rest all felt the same. They were committed to Jesus as their leader. And they were committed to follow him. They would stay loyal, loyal here. The insinuation is even under penalty of death. But they had one thing tripping them up. As I thought through this passage, and I'm sure you'll recognize it as I thought it through, is they had a different set of expectations than Jesus had. How so? Jesus was very clear about what was going to happen. He had uh, told them at least three times that he was going to Jerusalem and that he would have to die. Matter of fact, Peter rebukes him on that. And uh, they thought, they really didn't think he was going into Jerusalem to die. What did they think he was going in to do? Set up the kingdom. Right? Hey, he's going to be the Messiah. And they had to figure out what their roles were going to be. How do we know that? Because earlier, what were they arguing about? Who's going to be greatest? Right? Dogpile now. Who's going to be first? Who's, well, I'm better than you are. Well, I was there first. Well, I'm older brother. Right? And they're, they're doing this kind of stuff. So they're heading towards Jerusalem with a completely different set of expectations. And that's what messed them up. That's what, that's what tripped them up. In their heart of hearts, they really didn't think he was going to die. They really thought Jesus was going to usher in the kingdom of God. And they were eager for their place in it. Sure, it would get tight, it would get tense, but we're all together, we're a team, we can fight our way out of it. Besides that, even if they, that wasn't true, they had seen Jesus defeat the Pharisees many times with just brilliant words. Right? He just leveled them. And plus they had seen the miraculous things. Surely there was no circumstance that he could not get himself and them out of. And so they, they were going with that, that kind of mindset. All this talk of dying surely must mean something else. Who could beat Jesus in a fight? Right? We just sang that this morning. They just had to stand strong. They just needed to be resolute. And they would see the kingdom of God ushered in. Roosters crowing were no big deal. Roosters crowed all the time. Me denying Jesus? Impossible. Three times? Never going to happen. 
And from that, I want to pull some what I would call lessons on the trail this morning that I think are, are really good lessons for us. So if you're taking notes, here's three of them that I think we can pull from this passage. Here's the... There we go. Lessons on the trail. Number one, here's the first one. It's better to listen to Jesus than to tell Jesus. Okay, now I know that's bad English, all right? But it's better to listen to Jesus than to tell Jesus. You ever, you ever told the Lord how He needs to answer your prayers? You ever told Him how it needs to happen? Yeah, we've all done that, right? Notice Peter is in this declarative uh, telling mode. Uh, in marriage counseling, when couples come in, we call this terminal language. You always and you never. Nobody always and nevers. Okay? Most people sometimes. Right? But we make it always and never. And here Peter is in an always mode. He's telling Jesus how it's going to happen. He's not asking questions. He isn't particularly listening very well either. You know, if Jesus said that to you, wouldn't you think you'd stop and say, gee, Jesus, why would you say something like that? Right? Or, or Lord, we, we've been here before. Could you help me understand? What, what am I missing here? There's, there's none of that. Right? Peter's just going. He should have just remembered that uh, episode in the recent past. Remember when Jesus was talking about his actual death and Peter rebuked him? And then Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. And what did he say to Peter? Because you do not have the thing in, in your mind the things of God, but rather the things of man. You would think Peter would have caught this the second time around. But he didn't. Now, it's easy to get on Peter because we have hindsight and we can see and like, oh, come on, it's so easy. But remember, they're locked into present time. They can't see down the next week. They're looking at the moment right there. And I was just thinking... You know, we can laugh or find fun at Peter. <clears throat> but uh, how many times I was thinking, do, do I or, or we do any better? Right? Even with what we know. How many times do we subtly, or, or maybe not so subtly, <laughs> right? Try to steer Jesus to our way of thinking. Lord, let me help you out. I've, I've given this a lot of thought. This is really a good way for this to play out. Right? You ever done that in your prayers? Or Jesus tells us something will happen and we counter, oh, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. This is an amazing contradiction. We say, no, Lord. You ever thought of the weirdness of that? No, Lord. You are the Lord of the universe, but no, I'm not doing that. Right? I always tell people, well, if you're going to do that, just underline it and exclamation point it while you're at it. right? Because you, almost invariably you're going to end up doing what you said you'd never do. And I just want to suggest we need to be careful here. You know, when you think about uh, these verses, the one that comes to my mind is, be still and know I'm Lord. What is that talking about? That's talking about stop your agenda, stop your inner talk, stop that thing that's going on inside of you. And ask the Lord, listen to the Lord for what he's trying to tell you. And I imagine for you, like me, that's rather hard because I start to do that and then my agenda kicks up again. 
And then I stop it and I start again. And then my agenda kicks up again. Then I start it and my agenda kicks. And I find that listening to the Lord isn't near as easy as I thought it was. But it's, it's better to listen to Jesus than to tell Jesus. And remember that all these um, events were recorded for our instructions. That God's not trying to embarrass Peter or all the disciples stuff, but he's, he's giving us a heads up. When you hit pressure like this, learn from their example and do differently. And so we should be better at it than the disciples were because we have a chance to see how they went through it. Both for things that we're supposed to do and also for things we're not supposed to do. <clears throat> Maybe like Peter, sometimes we just forget who we're talking to. Right? Jesus, buddy, pal, chum. We forget he's the Lord of the universe. I'd like to suggest this morning he knows what he's doing. Would that find favor with anybody? Second point. So don't tell Jesus, listen to Jesus. Or it's better to listen to Jesus than tell Jesus. Second one is this one. Don't overestimate your ability to vow something. I gave you my word. You ever said that? Right? And like I said that, that, that is the Bible. That is granite. That is done. Uh, what's the Mandalorian? I have spoken. There we go. I was thinking about that when I was doing this, right? <clears throat> Peter was confident uh, in his bond. The other disciples felt the same way. You know, right? My word's my bond. That's, that's how they thought. But they vastly overestimated their ability to keep the things they were vowing. And that's why Scripture tells us not to make bold pronouncements like, you know, by the Lord or all this. The Bible says, hey, just keep it to yes and no. You're going to get in trouble even that way, but that's better than swearing by God in the temple and by the altar and by all these other things. Just say yes or no. That way, if you fail, it's not such a big drop. And this should be especially true when we're vowing something that is opposite of what Jesus has just revealed to you. Right? When you know the Lord's spoken to you and you say, I will not do that. Or Lord tells you, don't do that. Well, I'm doing it anyways. That should be a point where you really realize, hey, I should check myself because I'm, I'm vowing something here I can't keep. Uh, I, a story that came to mind this morning and I, I thought of it right as... I was doing first services. Uh, back in the days when I was a youth guy at North Shore, I was giving this sermon on never say never to God. And I was giving stories of people who said, I'd never be a missionary to Africa and I'll never be a pastor and I'll never go and do this and I'll never go and do that. And I said, don't ever say never to God. And I said, if you're gonna, make it big and make it bold, right? If you're gonna say never, underline it, exclamation point it, dig your feet in and, and you know, rock at it because invariably you're going to end up doing what you said you would never do. And I was giving this message, and there was a gal in the youth group who was in full rebellion at that time. She's not any longer. She's deeply surrendered to Christ, lives a beautiful life in Christ. But at that time, she was a teenager, and she had the bit in her teeth, and she was standing right over here, kind of just to the left of Esther there, and uh, standing in the aisle. And I was giving this message, and she's back there mad at me. I, she doesn't like me. She doesn't like my message. She just thinks, you know, I'm not, I'm just really well loved at that moment. And, uh, and she's grinding her teeth and she's just spitting nails. 
And so when the message got done, I walked over because I saw her and I thought, I wonder what she's up to. So I walked back there and she looks at me and says, you and your stupid messages about never this and never, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I want you to know something, Buster. I'm never getting married. I'm never going to marry a pastor and I'm never going to be in ministry. And I said, whoa, awesome. This is cool. Hey, everybody, come here, come here, come here. And there were more people in that youth group than there are here in the room right now. And so I brought them over and said, hey, could you, could, could you say that again so they can hear it? <laughs> right? Stuff spitting up. I am never going to get married. and I'm never marrying a pastor. And I'm never going to be a minister. And I said, awesome. Did you guys all hear that? And she said, I'll say it again. And she went through the whole thing, right? Just <laughs> spitting out nails. And I said, this is fantastic. All right, everybody. Everybody heard that? I said to the girl, I said, I'll make you a bet. Here's my bet. I will bet you. I said, dinner at the Space Needle. This is 20 years, 25 years ago, okay? Dinner at the Space Needle. I didn't have the money for that, neither did she. But I thought I'd just jack it up for fun. Dinner at the Space Needle. I will bet you, by the time you are 23 years old, you will be married, you will marry a pastor, and you will be in ministry. Got it? Everybody hear that? Yep, they all clap. Okay, so we walked off. Time went on. A couple years rolled by. She was so intent on making sure that this would not happen that her best friend was dating a non-believer who she knew she shouldn't be dating. This gal says, Ha, I'll show you. Steals her best friend's boyfriend from her so that she could be dating a non-believer to prove to God that he couldn't get her in a ministry. Things happen. Aaron Day leads the guy to Christ. Some of you know Aaron. Leads the guy to Christ. She comes to Christ. They decide to get married. And, uh, and then one Sunday we install her husband and another guy as the junior high youth pastors at North Shore. And it's a room like this. It's all full. and People pack big celebration. We've got the whole thing going. Prayer and stuff. And I see her over there and she's standing in the same spot. Like, how'd she find the same spot after a couple years, right? Same spot. And she goes, and she's just like, that's my man. You know, just like this. And I thought, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) (laughs) And in my best youth pastor, sleuthing over to her, I got next to her and I said, and Mitch, I'm never going to be married and I'm never going to marry a pastor and I'm never going to be in ministry. I wish I had a picture of her face. The shock on her face was so stunning. She had completely forgotten. She had, that had gone way down the track. She was so sure, but she had forgotten. Time had changed things. The Lord had changed things. And she couldn't keep the vows that she committed to. It was fantastic. We made them take us to the Space Needle. <laughs> it was great. And, and then when they got married, we gave them the money back as a wedding gift, right? But, but it was fantastic. And so I just, you know, we make a lot of pronouncements about things we are or never going to do. And it's, the Bible just calls that foolishness. Because the Bible knows us. It knows we turn like the wind, right? And so be careful about what you vow. And then the third one is a good one for this morning. Make sure you listen to the whole picture. If God's talking to you, make sure you listen to the whole thing that he says, not just part of it. There's a really beautiful statement uh, in here that Jesus had said to them that they completely missed. And what he was telling them is this. 
And it's, I think it's a great word for us right now this morning, today, and all the stuff going on in our country. I've got you covered. What did he say? After I rise from the dead, I will go before you and meet you in Galilee. Jesus had it figured out. He already knew what was going to happen. He knew how they were going to fail. And he already had the end route figured out. And he already had them covered. He saw the fallout. He, in, he had anticipated it. And he had already put the recovery in motion. They just didn't hear it. It was right there for them if they had listened carefully. What was it? After I'm raised up, I will go before you in Galilee. There's a promise there. There's a beautiful promise there. He has them covered. And I want to suggest this morning, he has us covered. All right? This, all this freaking out that's going on, hello, people. <laughs> Prayer is a beautiful thing. Soap and water work. All right? Worst that happens, you can die. What will happen? You meet Jesus. Oh, shucks. I'm like, hello. But what we've got is a culture that's moored themselves away from Jesus, so they can't pull those strings anymore. Right? And what I'm saying to us is, look, he's got us covered. Do you think this has caught Jesus by surprise? Like he's in heaven going, oh my gosh, I never thought of that one. Oh, now what do we do? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, Holy Spirit, what do you think? I don't know. Oh my gosh, we're... You know, is, do you think that's what's going on in heaven? No. Then why do we act like that? He's got us covered. He's got me covered. He's got you covered. He's got your kids covered. He's, he's got it covered. And why I think that's so important is with all these alarming headlines, and these are just, remember we said these are beginning of birth pains. It's just the start. This isn't the middle even. You've got to remember, he's got us covered. He had the disciples covered. He's got us covered. And, and, I, and I don't want to make fun of it. In the days that we live in, we do need to be wise, right? It's not appropriate to be an idiot. You do need to be wise. It is appropriate to take appropriate precautions. I think that's brilliant and good and things wise to do. But we don't need to be alarmed. You see the difference? One of the things that scares me about social media is the alarm factor in it. Um, just it, it just takes off and people are freaking out. And I, I see people in my neighborhood freaking out. I'm like, you know, well, have you done anything about the coronavirus? No. What? Haven't you gone to Scottsdale? No. Really? Why? And I said, no, actually, I've just been praying about it. And Oh. <laughs> You're one of them. What my suggestion is this morning is we need to lean in, not away. You've heard this from me many times. Lean in. Under pressure, which way do you lean? You lean in. You don't sit in the middle paralyzed. Don't run home, throw the blankets over your head. Ah! Right? Don't do any of that. Don't lean away. God doesn't have it. What do you do? You lean in. Lean towards Him. And I think that's what the disciples should do. That's what we should do. Why should we do that? Because He's got us covered. He knows. He's got it covered. You believe that? All right, then let's pray. Father, thank you for your almighty grace. Thank you for your sovereignty. Thank you that your God were not. Thank you um, that you got us covered. May we rest in that. We don't have to be freaked out. And Lord, as we pray, we realize our culture, all stuff going sideways. 
Might we be good witnesses just by the peace we have? And Lord, we know we're hypocrites in that too in the sense that we say we're with you and we'll stand just like disciples and we're, we shake like leaves, Lord, and we turn every five seconds. But could you help us? Would you help us be anchored in your spirit? Anchored on your word. Lord, help us be in your word. Love your word. Respond. Lean in. Trust you. And we pray for this in your name. Amen.